If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to our sermon text today, which is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. First Peter being one of those very small letters right at the end of the Bible that is so difficult to turn to that you always end up in Revelation. So if you're in Revelation, keep flipping back a few pages. You'll end up in First Peter. We are in chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. And to see where Peter is coming from, I'm going to begin in verse 1. Open your hearts now with faith to receive the holy and the inspired word of the Lord. The Apostle Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive receive the unfading crown of glory. And here begins our text now in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Loved ones in Christ, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's uh, pray and ask for God's help. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Arrogance or pride, if we're using those words somewhat synonymously, is when people think too highly of themselves or of their abilities. It is a a vice that shows up all over the place, so much so that everyone in the world recognizes it. And it shows up in in some of the greatest and most famous of all storylines. You know that the tortoise won the race, not because he was faster than the hare, but because the hare was arrogant and prideful. 
You also probably know that Icarus flew too high and melted his wax wings and fell to his death because of hubris, of arrogance, of a kind of pride. He thought too highly of his own abilities. These and and many, many others are good moral stories. They teach us something that we really ought to know, that you can fly too high, too close to the sun. You can overestimate yourself, think too highly of yourself. And so those lessons about being prideful are well taken. But Scripture alone gives us not just the warning to flee from pride and to be humble, but it gives us sufficient reason to be humble. It gives us the real reason and the real power to be humble in the first place. Or as Peter puts it here in chapter 5 of his letter, to clothe ourselves with humility. Only Holy Scripture gives us sufficient reason to do this. Today is the beginning of a new year, and what better way to begin that year but with this great and high calling toward humility, one of the greatest of the Christian virtues. What would it mean to clothe all of our conversations with humility? All of our resolutions, if you're into that sort of thing. All of our new pursuits or everything that we're trying to keep in line from the previous year. All of the pursuits that we're just continuing on with. What would happen if we clothed all those things and ourselves with humility? What we learn here at the end of 1 Peter today is that the command to be humble and the promise to be exalted after we've humbled ourselves has already been embodied by the Savior, Jesus. Because we are exalted through Christ, all the benefits of Christian humility come into clear focus for us. This is what I mean by saying that you know, the world tells us in many helpful, useful ways to be humble and to avoid pride and arrogance. But only the Christian faith and the Holy Scriptures give us the sufficient reason and true power to actually pursue humility. And so that's what we're going to spend our time focusing on today from Paul's, uh, from Peter's first epistle. And the first thing to point out today is the bare command itself. Be humble. Be humble. The Apostle Peter is the one who is writing here, and he is nearing the end of his first letter, that he wrote to a series of congregations that are in what is today Turkey, Asia Minor, uh, back in this day, in the first century. And here in the final chapter of this letter, he says it loud and clear in verse 6, humble yourselves, humble yourselves. There's the command. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Humility and, and pursuing humility, becoming humble, is a kind of lowering of yourself. It is a lowering of yourself. There is a, a, a visual image that is tied to this virtue, and it is going low. That's why it is pitted against being exalted, which is to go high in, uh, in Peter's letter here. Well, the Christian virtue of humility is a a kind of inward lowliness. And Peter commands us to pursue this. Be humble, he says. In context, verse 5 is speaking about younger people submitting to those who are older. When it says there in verse 5, 
uh, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. The word elders there is a little ambiguous. It might mean church elders, because that's what he's been talking about in the previous verses. Uh, But it is ambiguous enough, given that he's speaking to younger people in terms of age, that he may just be now saying, if you are younger in the body of Christ, those who are older tend to have more godliness, more experience in sanctification. Therefore, subject yourselves to them. Whatever the case, the point is that there's a very specific command to younger people humbling themselves in a specific way. That's how verse 5 begins. But that specific command leads Peter now to a broad general command that is upon all Christians, regardless of their age. Now, think of a person who is bowed low. Think of someone who has physically humbled themselves. That's a good image of humility. Someone who is bowing low, prostrate on the ground. And when a person takes up that position, they are bowed in a certain direction, necessarily. They're bowing towards something or someone. Christian humility is when a believer lowers himself or herself, bows himself or herself in a couple of different directions. That inward lowliness is now uh, toward a couple of different things, which Peter now speaks about in the rest of the passage. This is that broad command now. The first direction is that we are to be humble toward one another. We are to be humble toward one another. And this is commanded of all believers. The middle of verse 5 there, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So you see, this, we have to make this clear. There's a distinction that Peter has made. He was speaking specifically to the younger and said specifically, humble yourselves, subject yourselves to the elders. But now, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. The Bible often speaks like this. Certain practices and virtues are to be put on like a piece of clothing. In this very letter, in chapter 3, Peter speaks to Christian wives and says that they are to adorn themselves. See, that's the language of putting something on. Adorn themselves with a gentle and quiet spirit. See, there's something inward and intangible that is to be put on like a garment. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, he says, put on the new self. Put on the new self created in, in the likeness of God. Or in Ephesians chapter 6, put on on the whole armor of God. So there's certain practices, certain virtues that are spoken of as clothing. You're to put them on. And wouldn't you know, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Put on humility. Be humble is the command that is upon us. Put it on like a garment. Wrap it around yourself and around all that you do and all that you think and all that you say. And now that you have done that, do it toward others so that what you do for others and what you think about others and what you say to others is from a position of lowliness, of a kind of mutual submitting to one another. That's what Paul says it in, in Ephesians. 
submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. We all reverence Christ together. We all bow to Christ together. Let us now bow inwardly toward one another in Christian love and charity. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility toward one another. There's another direction that our humility is to aim at, and it is toward God himself. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. The image that Peter is using here is perfectly painted for us in Psalm 123. Here's how the psalmist speaks. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Servants and maidservants are looking upward to the hand of God, and that is what we are to do by clothing ourselves with humility, humbling ourselves under that same mighty hand, waiting for his mercy to be poured out upon us. We are just servants of the Almighty Master, whose hand extends both to judge and to show mercy, and he loves to show mercy. So, brothers and sisters, with the Spirit's help, we are to cultivate this spiritual lowliness. This is what it means to be poor in spirit, as Jesus says in the Beatitudes. A kind of spiritual, uh, uh, willing poverty that says, I am no better than anyone else. I have come with the same empty hands to Jesus Christ and have nothing to give to him, but he gives me everything as he has given to my own brothers and sisters in the faith. This is a humility by which we see ourselves as God sees us. Which doesn't mean just kind of a sadistic uh, self-abasement. That's not humility. It is rather lowering ourselves because we recognize who our maker is. And that he has loved us with a perfect love. So we are to see ourselves as God sees us and not, not higher than we ought to see ourselves. And then we are to practice this humility toward others and toward God directly. So be humble. But secondly, Peter also tells us why we are to be humble. Why we are to be humble. This command is difficult to follow. <laughs> Probably goes without saying. Because it means that we subject ourselves to others both to people and to God. And both of those things are difficult. Perhaps it would seem easier to subject ourselves to God because we know people are wicked and they may take advantage, but it's difficult to do both. John Calvin says, nothing is more adverse to the disposition of humankind than subjection. Meaning, because we're sinful, because we're prideful, nothing hurts worse than subjecting ourselves to someone else. So we have to know why we are to be humble. Reasons must be given, and only Scripture gives us sufficient reasons. In verse 5, the command is, as we've seen, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That's the command. Now the reason. The reason is, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's paraphrasing Proverbs chapter 3, verses 34. 
There it's even clearer what the opposition is like. It says to the scornful, God is scornful. So he opposes the proud with their, their own medicine. He makes them drink their own medicine. If you're a mocker of God, he will mock you. And so here's our first reason to be humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is the posture that is ready to receive the grace of God. How can you receive the grace of God with arrogance? It's impossible. Which is why it's one of the core virtues of the Christian religion. Because those who are humble are those who know their need. But those who exalt themselves, who overestimate themselves or their abilities, who do not think of God or of others, they face, instead of God's grace, a terrible opposition. Those who are humble know that their only hope is in the Lord. And so they wait patiently for him. They wait for the proper time. They will wait with humility on God. But those who are proud will not think another second of it. They'll do what they feel like they need to do, say what they need to say. They will walk over whoever they need to walk over and they will not give another thought to God. Or they will think of God, as we've said many times, like a vending machine who gives them what they, what they want if they put in uh, the right things, the right amount. Just think of opposition by God. Just think of that concept for a second. To be actively opposed by the Creator. It is the fate of all those who refuse to bow the knee to Christ. To go low willingly before their Maker and their Redeemer. Think of Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. In the parable, Jesus speaks of a Pharisee who arrogantly prays at the street corner and he wants to make a name for himself. But the tax collector, whom everyone knew was a sinner, the tax collector, uh, Jesus says, cannot even look up to heaven, but beats his chest and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. How does Jesus in that parable? He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It is the tax collector who goes home righteous in that parable and not the Pharisee. Those who humble themselves will at the proper time be lifted up by the only one who can do it. So this is the first reason that we are given. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A terrible warning and a wonderful promise. But Peter continues in verse 6. Again, we have another command. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And here's the reason. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Here's the thing. Everyone in the world will experience both humility and exaltation of one sort or another. The question is, who's the one doing it? Who's the one doing the humbling, and the exalting. Are you willing to humble yourself, or will you wait to be forced? 
Are you elevating yourself above others? Or will you allow God to exalt you? Which is the only exaltation our hearts really desire. We are just blind to it many times. Dear brothers and sisters, the high calling that God places upon us in this passage is bolstered by very good reasons. But the ultimate reason, the ultimate reason behind all these others is that the reasons given have already been embodied by the Savior, Jesus Christ. Humility and exaltation are acted out in their ultimate way at the cross and in the resurrection, where the Son of God has gone as low as possible. He has been humiliated. In in theology, and systematic theologies, we call Jesus Christ coming to earth and suffering, we call that the state of humiliation. The state of humiliation for Jesus Christ. He has come down from heaven, the old hymn tells us, to seek us. He's come down and lowered himself as low as he could possibly go. And he waited for the proper time for God the Father to exalt him. It has already been done. Here then is both the example and the power that you need to be humble. We don't just humble ourselves and wait to be exalted following in his footsteps, although that is true. But here and here alone is the power that we need given to us by Christ and through the Holy Spirit to now act out Christ's own humility. It is found in our Lord Jesus. If he has made himself low before his father and even toward his neighbors, the son of God has humbled himself toward his wicked neighbors. How seriously then must we take this command? These are the reasons. God gives grace to the humble. He will exalt you. And Jesus proved this. Therefore, be humble. Lastly, this morning, we're given the command and the reasons for the command, but also the ways to follow the command. How to be humble. What does this now look like? There are three main things here in the passage. One is to be watchful because the devil prowls like a roaring lion. That's one example of pursuing humility, what it looks like to clothe yourself in humility. It is humble to know you have a real adversary. A second is to know that the things that you suffer are suffered by all believers around the world. That's also an act of humility because we don't exalt ourselves or our own suffering over others. That's actually popular now. It is to exalt ourselves based on victim status. And so my victimization, my suffering is worse than yours. But humility acknowledges true suffering, and your own as well, uh, and calls it what it is, submits it to the Lord, and also recognizes that among your brothers and sisters around the world, there is similar kinds of suffering happening. But there's a third, and I want to spend our remaining time looking at it. There's a third kind of action here. Look with me at verse 6 and verse 7. The main command... As we've seen in verse 6, is humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. But verse 7 connects now. 
With this still in mind, it now connects it to an expression of this humility, saying, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting is is a verb here. What's it connected to? Be, Be humble. Humble yourselves. How? Well, by casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was, was very moved by this verse. He says, uh, he says, this is a beautiful and comforting passage, one which every Christian should believe and write in his heart, that it may comfort him in every need and temptation. Casting your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you, because he has concern for you. The image here is just wonderful, the image that Peter conjures, conjures up for us. God is said to have a mighty hand, like we've heard about many times in the Old Testament. God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It is the hand of grace and the hand of power. He can really do something for you that you can't and false gods can't. And no other human being or creature can. You know, only God has the mighty hand of power to do what you need him to do. And he does so out of grace and mercy. As he lifted up his people out of the the iron furnace of Egypt, so he offers that same powerful hand to you. Now then, it is into this same powerful hand that we are to cast our anxieties. Because he can bear them. It is God alone who carries this load, and he will because he cares for you. Our catechism tells us that uh, he provides for all of our needs. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is our heavenly father. He can and he will. He cares for you. And Peter shows us that this action, this action on us of, of casting our anxieties on the Lord, that is an expression of true humility. There's zero hubris involved when we cast our anxieties on the Lord. Arrogance flees when we decide to do this. Why? Because if we don't take our cares and our anxieties to the Lord, then what we are functionally saying is, I can handle this. Can handle this myself, thank you very much. But we cannot, and the more that we try to, the more we end up heaping the load upon our own shoulders and then casting it onto others in anger and in selfishness and in self-aggrandizement. The load's got to go somewhere. You can either lay it on others unjustly, unrighteously, angrily, or you can cast it upon the Lord who can carry the load. And who through Jesus Christ has demonstrated that he carries our loads. Loved ones in Christ, if we're honest with ourselves. Our most prideful moments, which can be very ugly, are when we've been made to feel small. We've been made to feel small by someone or some circumstance. And that's when we go full throttle on the arrogance to make ourselves feel better. Someone makes us feel stupid or inferior, and so we try all the more to talk a big talk and puff ourselves up. Um, 
Or how many times have you lashed out at someone, not because they did something to you, but because you're going through something difficult and you end up taking it out on someone. You're worried about something else altogether, but you, you put the load on someone else. Luther, uh, still in his commentary on this letter, says, Do not be anxious as to, and here's a list he gives, how shall I secure money and home and food and the like? How shall I be delivered from this need or this danger? The Christian calls on God and casts all his anxiety with confidence upon him, whether temporal or spiritual anxieties, for he cares for us. This we should in no way doubt. And brothers and sisters, we shouldn't doubt it because God has already given us the Lord Jesus Christ. What more evidence do we need that he cares? He cares for us. He cares to meet our deepest possible needs. So when we come to him with our other anxieties, they're nothing in comparison. He can carry the load. He's given us Christ. He's given us the spirit of Christ. He's given us the church. We are delivered from sin and death. How much more does he desire to deliver us from our daily cares and concerns, our worries and anxieties? Brothers and sisters, what will 2023 look like for you if your work and your home and your conversations and your parenting and and your fights with your spouse are clothed with humility? Every day when worry and concern overtake you, march directly to the throne of grace. Make yourself low there at the mercy seat. And lay it all down, knowing that he cares for you. Clothe yourself in humility toward one another by clinging to the Son of God who has clothed himself in humility first. Wait upon the Lord as he has, uh, as Jesus Christ has. And like your Savior, you also will be exalted in due time. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our merciful God, who is pleased to condescend to speak to us through your word, grant us all grace that we may not be mere hearers of your word, but doers also. Give us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may believe what has been proclaimed to us. May we bring glory and honor to your name in all that we do as you conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.